Hi, this is James Marino. It's July 4th, 2023, and the Today on Broadway crew has the day off. I think that Matt is blowing up a mock effigy of the University of Michigan with fireworks that have scarlet and gray smoke, while Grace is creating a TikTok of it, with Ashley picking out the appropriate Sondheim music to underscore it. As July 4th is the unofficial kickoff of the summer here in the United States, Jan Simpson has published her 16th summer reading list at broadwayandme.com. For the uninitiated, Jan Simpson is a theater journalist who writes the blog Broadway and Me and hosts the Broadway radio podcasts Stagecraft and All the Drama. She has twice served as a Pulitzer Prize juror. I spoke with Jan about some of the picks on this year's list, and then we talked with Robert W. Schneider, the multi-talented Broadway presence, about a book that he produced and edited called 50 Key Stage Musicals. So we're back for what has become... Are we on our fourth one or our fifth one, Jan? I don't, uh, where I don't know. I don't even know how many of these lists I've done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, suffice to say that last year we did this as well, where we talked about your summer reading list, where you compile a list of uh, recommended books that are uh, about theater or theater adjacent and um, stuff for Broadway fans and theater fans worldwide that they can sit down at the beach and maybe perhaps have a, some sort of refreshment and, uh, or uh, as you've mentioned in the past, sit on your, uh, sit on your, uh, your My deck, terrace, your yeah. terrace. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for 2023, mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's start off in the novel area and talk about uh, two different novels that have made the list. Why don't we start with Someday, Somewhere, Maybe by Lauren Graham. Well, you know, I love doing the novels because lots of people do lists of theater-related books, but they don't often include fiction novels. And I love going into um, the fictional world uh, of the theater about uh, the theater. And Someday, Somewhere, Maybe is by Lauren Graham. And I think a lot of people will know her as the star of the show uh, Gilmore Girls. And she's she was also, is also uh, a stage actress. She did a revival of Guys and Dolls a few years ago and has done some other work uh, here in New York and, and, and maybe in other parts of the country as well. This book clearly borrows from her life before uh, she hit it big. It's about a, a young would-be actress in New York. She's about to turn uh, 30 and she's given herself a deadline. She's been in New York. She's been working in low-paying day jobs, uh, sharing cheap apartments with a lot of people, going to auditions, taking acting classes. And she's finally sat herself down and said, here's your deadline. You have to get something really significant by this deadline, or you have to just face the fact that this is not for you and go home and marry your hometown uh, boyfriend and so on. And, um, 
it's obviously, or at least it was obviously to me, it's a rom-com. And I don't think it's a surprise uh, uh, how the, the, the book ends out. There are three guys. One guy is the sweetheart she's always had. One guy is a hunky movie star who's in her acting class. And the other guy is one of the many people with whom she shares um, an apartment. And uh, we, we know uh, starting out that she's going to end up with a job and she's going to end up with one of those guys. But uh, Lauren Graham makes it uh, really great fun uh, to to go through the experience of getting to that end. All right. And next up on the list, we have The Twist of a Knife by Anthony Horowitz. So tell us about that one. This uh, I guess Anthony Horowitz has written uh, several books. Uh, they are mysteries. Uh, I This is my first, because uh, this is the one that's theater-related. And I gather what he does all the time in his books is he inserts himself, even though these are novels, he inserts himself as a character. And in this particular book, he's not just a character. He's the prime suspect in the murder of a really mean-spirited theater critic. And what makes him the prime suspect is that she has savaged the play that he's just opened uh, on London's West End. And the only way that he can clear his name is to find out who actually did her in. It's fun. It's just a a fun read. Um, He's having a great time and uh, you're having a great time as you read the book. Uh, as as a member of the drama of the drama desk, and you you as an out of critic circle uh, member, are, doesn't it make you nervous to have somebody even think about killing a a, a critic? <laughs> Critics are always <laughs> portrayed <laughs> as the villains, <laughs> always. <laughs> and, although the way he portrays this critic, and she, it is a female critic she's so terrible that you want to kill her too you want to crawl into the book (laughs) you were into um uh she's not representative of of, of our group but she's uh but uh she's part of what is really uh, a fun novel to read that's wonderful in a different category we have some memoirs and uh and you have the Algonquin, uh, the Algonquin Kid, Adventures Growing Up at New York's Legendary Hotel by Michael Colby. So uh, the uh, the wonderful um, the wonderful composer of Charlotte Sweet and and various other musicals and great great friend to so many. So tell us about this. Well, I decided to to focus on this one in our conversation because. Uh, every year, there are great uh, mem- uh, memoirs uh, that are published. And this past year, we had two uh, that had high profiles and were about high profile people in the theater community. The first is uh, Cheetah, 
I don't need to say the last name, but I will. <laughs> Cheetah, I mean, if you don't know the last name, yeah. why are you listening to this? Yes. Um, <laughs> Cheetah by Cheetah Rivera with Patrick Pacheco. And the other is uh, Shy, the alarmingly outspoken memoirs of Mary Rogers, uh, written with Jesse Green, the New York Times uh, chief uh, theater critic. Uh, these are both books that have been talked about, and they've been talked about because they should be talked about. Uh, they're great reads. I uh, I know uh, Patrick fairly well, and and Jesse uh, a little less well, but know them both. Um, but that's not why these books are on my list. They're terrific books. I don't know uh, Michael Colby, and I'm not sure his book is as well known as uh, those other two, but it's a terrific read because he had the good fortune to be um, born the grandson, and not just the grandson, but really the much-beloved grandson of the couple that owned the Algonquin Hotel during the golden age of Broadway. And mm-hmm. as uh, people may know, it's sitting right there on 44th Street, uh, right off uh, uh, 6th Avenue. And even today, but particularly in its heyday of the golden age of Broadway, everybody ate at the Algonquin, they drank there, they stayed there, they lived out of town. And he was there for all of it, Um, running around the Algonquin as a kid, seeing these people, many of them performed in the Algonquin's um, bar rooms. He was able to meet all of these celebrities, his grandparents were always invited to the openings of their shows. He went to the openings of, of those shows. Um, I, I am not naming names because uh, th- that would just go on and on and on. You name a person who was a significant player uh, behind the scenes as part of the creative team or, or, or on stage on Broadway. And, they made a stop at the Algonquin and he got to know them. And it is just really great fun to see them through the eyes uh, of this kid as he was from when he was small to when he was growing up. And obviously uh, it influenced him because he became uh, a show maker himself. And what I say on my list is, I'm going to quote myself here, is I've been putting this list together for years. And it's hard to think of a better summer read. This is this is a fun um, and interesting book. Yeah, Michael's very, very entertaining writer. And uh, I, I think of him as Broadway's own Eloise. Yes. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So next up in the uh, in a different category, we're going to have uh, talk about two books that are about uh, designing on Broadway. So tell us about them. I think you, you know because of the pandemic, uh, a lot of folks were uh, at home, a lot of theater folks, and these are creative people. 
So they looked for other ways to create because the theaters were shut down uh, for, as everyone knows, for about 18 months. And both Derek McLean and Beowulf Borat, both two-time Tony winners, individually wrote books about what it is to be a set designer and to design the physical spaces in which the shows that we go to see exist. And they, uh, each of them uh, goes through specific shows and not only talks about his process, but interviews other people uh, to talk about their process. Uh, McLean actually even talks to other uh, scenic designers, other set designers about their process, their shows. I think uh, his perhaps most recognizable show now is uh, Moulin Rouge, which is playing on Broadway that bigs, you know, big colors and the set actually comes right out into uh, the audience. And uh, Beowulf Borat takes a slightly different uh, approach. Uh, He talks to the people with whom he has collaborated on shows so, so that you get the conversation that goes back and forth between uh, a director or a writer about the set, uh, the conversation between the set designer and that person. And the people he he talks to uh, include Susan Stroman, uh, Kenny Leon, uh, Hal Prince, and Stephen Sondheim. And these books, uh, I'm always fascinated by how uh, set designers and costume designers translate what's on the page to, you know, the full physical uh, presentation. And these two books are are like masterclasses in that. However, if you're feeling really lazy, it's summer, and you're just kicking back. These are great books also because they are lavishly illustrated and just flipping through and looking at the pictures is just a treat in itself. Well, that is great. Um, I, could I uh, throw in something that uh, I didn't talk to you about ahead of time? Sure. Uh there, there is a, uh, a a for dummies book called Musical Theater for Dummies. <laughs> yes, that is uh, Seth Rudesky's book, and you know, again, people who would be listening to this may think like this is not a book for them. It, it, it a Musical Theater for Dummies, uh, Seth Rudesky's book, is probably like uh, Bugs Bunny on a certain level, where both. <laughs> Uh, both adults and children will enjoy it. So people who are well acquainted with musical theater would really enjoy this book as well as people who are not acquainted with it. So it's, it is a good book for you to buy for your partner who doesn't know anything about musical theater. 
And it's because you can read it together and you will enjoy it and they will enjoy it. And so uh, maybe it's, throw that. It's terrific. There is nothing about musical theater that Seth doesn't cover. Yes. And I I mean I mean that literally. He talks about how to get tickets to a hot show. Where to stand <laughs> for when you're going to the restroom during intermission. What an orchestrator does. What are the best uh shows that have been done in theater history? Why you should go and see community theaters in your neighborhood. What are the best capitals around the world? world for theater when you're traveling <laughs> you name it Seth has it in here but what I liked the best I have to say is uh, um, I do most of my reading on Kindle and uh, Seth includes links to the shows that he is talking uh, that he talks about. And so if you're reading about something about gypsy, uh, there's a link and he it will take you to someone who's singing something from Gypsy or talking about something uh, uh, connected with Gypsy. And so it's just it's a cornucopia of of just everything about musicals. And it is truly, I say, it's not just a summer read. This is an all-around-the-year read. This is just, and of course, it's all d done and <laughs> recounted in in Seth's, you know, trademark style. So it's 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 it it, it is not your dry, classically uh, written or even classically structured. <laughs> book he will be talking about something and he'll say in the book oh i haven't gotten to that yet but we'll get to it later he, <laughs> it's it's like sitting there with him you're at somebody's summer house and you just say seth tell me about musicals and he does and and you know what um james there is another book that is just as yummy for people who love musicals. It's a book called 50 Key Stage Musicals. Uh, there are a lot of books that list favorite musicals, famous musicals. This one takes a slightly different uh, approach, and uh, it's 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 a real winner. And um, uh, we're lucky. Uh, uh, because uh, we were able to uh, get its editor to 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 join us and talk a bit more about the book. So with us is a very special guest who is who is just fills all of the roles that I can imagine impresario does in twenty twenty three. Robert W. Schneider is with us, and Rob is just. He's a writer, he's a producer, he's a director. He is larger than life. And everywhere that we turn, we can see his great, great work. And I want to thank Rob. Rob, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. James, I'm so honored. Oh, my gosh. Can you follow me around everywhere and just and say that all the time, please? I, I do. I do. But there was that <laughs> restraining order. 
Uh, that's true. <laughs> so, okay. I'll wave it. I'll wave yeah, it for you, the compliment. You like 100 yards at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so just shout. Just shout it. Okay. Should I, should I precede you or, or follow you? Oh, preceding is great, like a royal announcement. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm blushing. What a great, what a great. Precede intro. you and throwing the rosebuds. Of yes, please gather the oh. the gather ye rosebuds. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, Rob, thank you for joining us on Broadway Radio. Uh, we love having you on. We haven't had you in so so long visiting with us. But, uh, you know, Jan brought up that your, uh, your wonderful book, 50 Key Stage Musicals, um, well, it's now in many uh, media forms, but in, when it was just a book, yes. uh, we got the insight into 50, 50 musicals that everybody should know. And I wanted to know how you came up with being able to limit it down to 50 and what was your big challenge there? Oh my gosh. You know, this is, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I love Broadway radio and I'm just so honored to be back. Um, this, this is like every musical theater lover's dream, which is the publisher approached me and said, can you tell us what the 50 most important musicals are? And the biggest challenge was like, well, I only get 50. How am I going to do yeah. this? This is a, <laughs> mm -hmm. this is a Sophie's choice. Um, and not Sophie from Mamma Mia, just in case anybody needs <laughs> clarification. Um, so I was very lucky because I worked – the first person I worked on the book was was uh, Peter Felicia, who, uh, you know, if you listen to Broadway radio, I'm sure you know Peter by now. And what Peter and I decided that the litmus test was going to be was if you couldn't say if it was not for this musical, there wouldn't be musicals A, B, C, D, and E. So you you had okay. to be able to draw a very strong line from whatever this musical contributed to musicals that have subsequently emerged. So, for example, like I could, there are a lot of wonderful musicals that I absolutely adore. Like I love The Music Man, but we couldn't say, well, what musicals did The Music Man then inspire? Um, I and you know more contemporary things like Book of Mormon is a lot of fun, but I'm. Right. Maybe somebody can correct me. I'm hard pressed to go. Well, if it wasn't for Book of Mormon, we wouldn't have had A, B, C and D and E. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily the musicals that are my personal favorite. It's not necessarily the musicals that are everyone's favorite or you go, oh, my gosh, musical theater is, you know, Book of Mormon is such a, a juggernaut. It's really based around. Can you draw a line between what this musical prompted or instigated? And that's that's sort of what our litmus test became. And so yeah. you, oh, Jan, go ahead. That, that That's really fascinating um, because the way the book is constructed, um, you go sort of chronologically yes. and you, each musical gets its own chapter and each chapter is written by a different author. So yes. how did you arrange the marriages? We so well, the first thing that I did not want was I didn't want it to be either both Peter and myself just pontificating because musical theater to me is for everybody. So we wanted to make sure that it reached across the spectrum. We wanted people that were involved in the industry, people that were academics, people that were ardent musical theater lovers. We wanted a, a wide range of contributors. What we did was we created simply an Excel form and said, here's the show, and this is the thesis which is, uh, you know, um, 
uh, uh, and of course I can't think a co- company uh, co- a company is the first concept musical. And so we w- reached out to maybe about 200 different possible authors and said, which of these shows speaks to you knowing you have to write about what our thesis is. You have to be able to, to get on board with what we think is important about the show. And that's pretty much how it was done. Um, and then people just claimed which ones they felt passionate about. And I wanted to make sure that it didn't I'm trying to think of a way of saying this, that we weren't just like, OK, well, you're a black author, so you're going to write on the black show or mm-hmm. you're a Jewish author. You're going to write on the Jewish show. We wanted to make sure because musical theater, I think, speaks to everybody. If you have an interest in this, you got to to stake your claim and make make your opinion heard. Were there fist fights? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were some that a lot of people wanted to do. I think everybody wanted to do Sweeney Todd. Everybody want, and then of course some people were like, "Okay, well, I'll write on this show." And then they submitted their chapter, and you're like, "Well, this really isn't on this show. This is on Into the Woods." And they're like, "Yeah, but I thought Into the Woods would be better off in the book." And you go, "Well, you don't. Get, <laughs> as, you get to write your own book if you feel that way." Um, but uh, yeah, there were a lot of shows that a lot of people wanted. If it was a Sondheim show, everybody fought for it. Oh, I, you know, I'm sure there's uh, there's many good fights there that were over the Sondheim shows. Can you uh, yes. name names? Name names. Give us the dirt. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some like like good ones. I mean, it was, you know, it was one of those things. And you know what? I don't even think originally Sweeney Todd was in the book. I wow. think that was something that came later. Um, cause the first list of 50 shows we came up with is not the 50 that are now reflected in this particular book. Hmm. Um, so like, for example, I think man of La Mancha was in there at one point. Um, Pippin was in there at one point and, uh, 1776 was in there at one point. And then we sat down and we said, you know, what, what are these really contributing? And so then we pulled back on those. And I think that's like when Sweeney Todd came in. I think that was when one of the Sweeney Todd's came in. Um, how did how did you end up giving it to Allison? Allison, I've known for quite a while. And Allison is just a, a genius. Allison was actually, Allison wrote the chapter for us on Pippin. And uh, when we got done with the Pippin chapter, I said, you know, this is really wonderful work, but it's not, it's not really making a case. And that's our fault, not her fault, our fault. So we said, let's get rid of it. Do you want to write on Sweeney Todd for us? And she said, yes, absolutely. So that's how Allison got to do it. This is Allison Marooney. Is <laughs> Allison that- Marooney. Fantastic, fantastic director. Wonderful person. Penn Stater. Penn Stater. Ah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an alumni and I still teach at Penn State. So I like to, I like to su- support my colleagues. Robert, did you know how I'm a Penn Stater? Are you really? I am, yeah. Well, this just makes me so happy. I will give you a free copy of the book anytime you want. <laughs> we are Penn State. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Well, yeah. I dated a guy from Penn State. That counts, Sam. That counts. <laughs> and we're not supposed to disclose it about you and me. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, Jan, I can't give you a book, but I can give the ex a book. Just... <laughs> no, you, you, Rob, you wrote about three of the musicals. Was this just because you loved these three or these were orphans and, and, and you gave them a home? Oh, you know what? No, no, Nanette was one that I was like, I'm doing this for myself. So I was like, sorry, everybody, you can't do it. <laughs> um, 
I can't remember who it was, so so this is good. Whoever wrote the Lacage chapter, it, it just didn't really write about Lacage, and so <laughs> I and I can't remember who it was, and so I was like, you know what? I'll just. It was one of those. It's easier for me just to rewrite it myself and do it. And the same on Gypsy. Whoever was writing Gypsy for us, they got involved with another project and they couldn't they couldn't complete it. So I was like, I'll just take it on myself. But no, no, Nanette was the one I was the most passionate about. Um, and then Lakaj and Gypsy just sort of fell into my lap. Why no, no, Nanette? I, one, I love the show. But two, um, it also is the show that triggered that revivals can be successful entities on mm. Broadway. Because prior to No, No, Nanette, if you remember, you know, there were revivals, but they were at City Center. They were there for two weeks. It was like, you know, you get two weeks of Carousel, two weeks of Oklahoma, and it was mostly recreations of what was done originally. Nanette's the first show to come along and say, well, wait a minute, let's take one of these shows from the past, make it a commercial venue, not at City Center, we'll make it a commercial venue, and we can tweak it a little bit, we can change it a little bit. And that was something people at that time thought, well, this really can't be done because why would you occupy a theater with something that people had already seen previously? That makes no sense. There are so many other wonderful new shows that want to come in. And most people thought Nanette was going to run for maybe two, three weeks, then close down. And I think it ended up running two years at the 46th Street Theater. And then that triggered this whole idea that revivals were worthy entities and could be commercial. And so I think that's pretty important because, as we know, and you know, we've had some seasons where there have been more revivals of musicals than there were original musicals on Broadway. So if it wasn't for Nanette, we wouldn't have had this this idea that you can have an open ended commercial run of a show that people had seen previously. So to me, I thought that was pretty important. That's fascinating. What do you think? will most surprise people um, about the list? Either some show that they wouldn't expect to be on the list that is... Oh, or- I th- mm-hmm. Yeah, Susical. I think people, when I said we have Susical in the book, they were like, wait, which one? And <laughs> the, a, including including a couple of, of the writers uh, from other Broadway musicals, like we had the wonderful Rupert Holmes, uh, who was involved with our first concert, uh, for 50 key stage musicals. And he was like, well, Edwin Drood is in here, but Susical is. And he gave a wink to the audience. Um, and I think even Stephen Lynn might have been a little surprised as well that it was included in here. But this, this is our feeling on it. And I stand by it, which is, <laughs> you know, you Susical did two things that I think are really important or will be important in the grand scheme of things when it comes to musicals. One, Susical was a show that was not successful on Broadway originally. Okay. Lost a lot of money. But in subsequent community theaters, high schools, et cetera, it's made back its money. It's made back its money tenfold. And there have been many, many years in which a musical that only ran a few performances on Broadway has been the most performed musical in high schools across the country. That, I think, is pretty important because then there are a lot of other musicals that said, well, wait a minute. We probably won't make our money on Broadway, but we'll make our money up in regional and high school and community theater productions. And this is shows like Little Women, shows like Disaster, shows like Title of Show, that I think they knew they were probably not going to be massive hits on Broadway, but they knew they were going to be doing well for themselves out in the regions. That's one. That's a good one. 
I, the the various people that you have pulled together to write musical. It's a, I think it's a gateway show for a lot of people. So for us, this had not been seen before. So we thought this is pretty important because even though people laughed at it and dismissed it, it created a new business model for musicals to be done, which is, hey, don't worry if we're not a success on Broadway. As long as we have that stamp of Broadway approval, then we can get into the catalogs and then we can be licensed all across the country. And that's where they make their money. So I still defend Susical being in there. <laughs> You've uh, got such a wide range of uh, folks who have written e- each one of these chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of them really uh, very have a very interesting insider view. I'm thinking of uh, Bill Russell yes. writing the G- Dream Girls. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know Bill Russell. Yeah. Uh, partnered with Henry Krieger. Henry Krieger wrote Dream Girls, so he's got to have an inside view that 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 most people would not have. So, tell us a little bit about that. Oh yeah. So that was important to us, which was to make sure that people who were on the ground up for some of these shows or very close to these shows. Bill is a great example of that. Stephen Mohannon, who was in Cats mm-hmm. originally, wrote our chapter on Cats. And discussed what it was like to be in this juggernaut of a show. Then we we also wanted to make sure that if somebody that we weren't censoring anyone's opinion of a show. So, for example, our Phantom of the Opera chapter, um, in which we said, "Well, this is really the show that sort of creates the machine show, which is this is a show that's you know it it runs like a clock, and you you sort of become a cog in the machine." That if there was a performer who felt that that was not the best way of doing things they had their opinion shared. So like Dr. Susan Russell, uh, who wrote our Phantom of the Opera chapter, she was in Phantom of the Opera. And her particular on chapter, her chapter on Phantom, it doesn't necessarily put the Phantom of the Opera in a positive light, but that's her opinion on it. And so we didn't want to censor that. So you have people like Stephen Mohannon who are celebratory of their work in the show. And then you have people like Dr. Russell who are critical of of their work on the show. But we think both opinions are valid. Did you worry about having too many shows by one person um, uh, or one team in the book? Did you try to, you know, know, one Sondheim, one Rogers and Hammerstein? Not not really. We felt that if, if, you know, if one person had created five shows and those five shows each created something that spawned a bunch of other different musicals, that was totally fine. When the end of the day came, I think we only have one Rogers and Hammerstein in there, and it's Oklahoma. Um, so, you know, we I mean, people might argue, oh, where's South Pacific or where's Carousel? Uh, our feeling was we couldn't really find any shows that were created because Carousel existed or because mm-hmm. South Pacific existed. Once again, brilliant wonderful, amazing shows, two of my personal favorite shows. We just don't have the evidence for it. Now, somebody might come along and write their own book and say, well, actually, these shows uh, are related to that one. That's great. Can't wait to read it. And same with <laughs> Sondheim. I think, you know, for Sondheim, I think what do we have in there? We have Company, which was his alone. And we have West Side Story and Gypsy, but he's working on that with other individuals. And the contributions on those shows, you know, West Side Story is really about the director choreographer 
coming coming into his own. And Gypsy, the focus for us was the book because we think the book is is pretty mm. perfect and pretty fantastic. But it, it doesn't really put a light on Sondheim. You know, people were like, oh, we should have Sunday in the Park with George in there. Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think it's a fabulous, wonderful show, but I really don't know what other shows, unless they have problematic act twos, can really come back <laughs> to Sunday mm-hmm. in the Park with George. Um, I, I- I, I sort of see, you know, the questions that people throw at you are the questions that Time Magazine gets in the person of the year cho- choice every year. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, when they when they do pick a terrible yes. human be a terrible human being, everybody's like, how could he be the person of the year? And it's like, well, it's not about who's the, you know, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's I and I think dreams that's a that's a great way of putting it. It's not about you know, what shows do we all love and what shows, you know, are we like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing it. I'm so excited. This book is really saying if it wasn't for this show, we wouldn't have had these 10 other shows. And I would love, I would absolutely love for someone to come up to me and go, listen, this is the shows that South Pacific spawned. This should be included in the book. Amazing. I would love that. I would love that. But, you know, they they write their book and I can't wait to read theirs. So How did you the, then decide for, for the later shows, um, shows like Fun Home, yeah. Dear Evan Hansen, which haven't had a chance perhaps yet to show their the, influence? The, it, this one's a little tricky because you sort of have to play like, you know, psychic. Because what, what <laughs> does the historian say that, you know, you really need 25 years from an event to fully understand and grasp the magnitude of it. Mm -hmm. So this is us pretty much looking into a crystal ball Mm -hmm. and saying, do do we think this is, do do we feel like we're going to be valid here? The big thing from us on Dear Evan Hansen was, and I think we saw some of this with shows like Be More Chill and The Lightning Thief, which was you had a show that was specifically targeted to a very new demographic. Mm-hmm. And that demographic was weaponized by social media. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Dear Evan Hansen was really the first to go, how do we use social media to help get our story across? Not only in terms of its publicity, but also inside the show. So much of the show is about the use of social media. And I think we've seen subsequent shows even a couple of years after Dear Evan Hansen opened, that deal with social media, the ramifications of social media. Plus, we also have seen a lot of Broadway shows really use social media to their advantage. And I think Be More Chill is a great example of that. You know, Be More Chill is one of those musicals that if it really wasn't for its ardent fans taking to social media saying, we want this show to come to Broadway, I don't know if it would have come to Broadway. So mm-hmm. I think Dear Evan Hansen kicked that off. Uh, Fun Home for us, you know, I think, you know, the idea of, you know, lesbianism on stage, front and center, it's not really done a lot up until Fun Home. You know, you had lesbian Mm -hmm. characters, but they were on the periphery of shows like Mm -hmm. Rent or Falsettos. But lesbianism now comes front and center in Fun Home. And then a couple of years later, we had things like The Prom. And I'm sure we'll see Mm -hmm. even more shows like that coming down the line. So that was those more recent shows, are like I said, are like our crystal ball ones. We're trying to guess and we've only have a couple of shows as evidence, but we still think it's evidence enough. What do you, how do you compare uh, the choice of um, hair versus Jesus Christ Superstar type of thing? Oh, you, boy. You, 
<laughs> that's, you know, no, that's hard. No, it's just very hard. Um, Jesus Christ Superstar wasn't there originally. It, okay. it, was, it was in there originally. And our focus on Jesus Christ Superstar was the idea that you could have a show as a concept album that um you know that that you could you could create a show for a listening experience and then that could be adapted to the stage and we've had a few shows like that but we also felt how significant is that really you know um and so we we got rid of Jesus Christ superstar hair to us was important because you know you could make a case well if it wasn't for hair you wouldn't have had jesus christ superstar to begin with yeah that's so nice. we 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 went back to the basic of it we were like you know is it what comes first the chicken or the egg and in this case it was hair i don't know if that's chicken or the egg but it was there <laughs> and uh so you know right now we're talking about this list and all these chapters and these great writing uh, in book form, but you have coming up on July 16th, a concert, uh, which is the third in a ongoing yes. series of concerts. So tell us about that. So once we created the book, it became clear to us that that these stories and these shows had to be, you know, they're listening experiences, they're performative experiences. So how can we augment and supplement the book? So the first thing we did was we created a podcast called 50 Key Stage Musicals, where each episode focuses on a specific chapter. And we inter we either interviewed the author of the chapter or we interview somebody that has um, a relation to the show in some way, shape or form. Like, for example, our Jersey Boys interview is with Rick Ellis. And when we did Showboat, it, we interviewed Susan Stroman to talk about what it was like working on the 94 revival. Then we thought, well, can we make this even, can we enhance this so there's a visual component? And so I'm a producer over at 54 Below, and we decided to come up with this idea called the 50 Key Stage Musical Series, where we do a concert. Each concert focuses on 10 of these shows, and that's where we bring in people from the original production to tell anecdotes about it and then to perform something from it. And then these videos are then posted on YouTube for future generations to look at. So for example, when we did our cabaret section, Anita Gillette and Penny Fuller, who both Aww. played Sally Bowles on Broadway mm -hmm. originally came in, they told stories about working on it. Then they did a duet. Um, Len Cariou came in and talked about working on Sweeney Todd and then sang an amazing eight-minute medley from Sweeney Todd. Um, and this is also on YouTube. Andre DeShields came and spoke about The Wiz. So we like this series because it allows students and readers to then get um, an even deeper exploration from the people who were there. And so on July 16th at 54 Below, we'll have another event. It'll be the third in our series. And it's also streamed as well. So if you can't make it, you can purchase a streaming ticket and watch it at home. Um, and so we're very excited as we're putting the fin finding finishing touches, I should say, on our third edition, which is on Sunday, July 16th. That's really, that's really wonderful. So is it, do you plan to stop after, after the fifth in the series or what do oh, you think? That, I, I, I said, I kind of want to do one where it's called, you should have had this in there. Uh, yeah. where, where, where where we look at maybe some of the shows that either didn't make the cut uh so maybe who knows maybe, maybe we'll have 50 more shows that should be and we could do a sequel to the book who knows 
Rob, is there one that you particularly loved, particularly wanted to be in there that didn't make the cut? Oh yeah, what a what a great question. Um, Even though lot. you were the cutter, I know isn't that horrible? I have no one <laughs> to blame but myself. Um, I think there's a couple of shows in hindsight that I would go, ah, uh, yeah, I should I should have probably found room for this. Um, one of them would be the Beggars Opera, um, hmm. which is uh, the it's the first play that people say you know music was part of it, you know, and this is from the 1700s. I probably should have put that in there. That predates the Black Crook. Um, that I probably should have put in. I'm trying to think of some others that uh, we should have thrown in. I, South Pacific, I feel like maybe we should have found a way of making room for South Pacific. Um, just because it's so it's so good. It's so good. Uh, but I'm hard-pressed to find a show that you can go, oh, well, because of South Pacific... We've had these shows, maybe Allegro, maybe Rogers and Hammerstein's Allegro because it was so conceptual or Love Life, um, which is also so conceptual. Maybe one of those. I don't know. What do you think? Is there is there any on the list? Is there any that you're like, hey, where's fill in the blank? Well, I had the first one on my list was South Pacific. Believe okay, it or not. good. And then on the town, mm. Spring Awakening and Tommy. Oh, great choices. I think, um, what was the, uh, Spring Awakening, Tommy, what was the other one you said on the town? Oh, yeah. That that was one we looked at. That was one we looked at. And we were like, well, what, you know, what does this do? And I can't remember why we got rid of it. But on the town was in there originally. It was in there originally. And I can't remember why we got rid of it. Um, I, You know what I think it was? I think it came down to on the town or West Side Story. Yeah, I th- I think that's what it was, and I think we said that we felt, even though on the town was dipping its toe into what West Side Story would sort of morph into, that West Side Story had more prominence for us. But I think I would probably mm-hmm. go back and put on the town, and if I had a second chance at it, any thought about making you know sort of a different genre of list? You know, you have. 50 key musicals. Maybe there could be 50 off key musicals, you know? Oh my gosh. Wait a minute. I think that's a great idea for you. Run with that. Haters going to hate, 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 steal it. (laughs) I think that's good. Oh yeah. You know, which one people wanted in there a lot was Carrie. Yeah. Uh, Because, Ah. because they thought it was such a flop musical that, you know, oh my gosh, it was such a, you know, everyone talks about it and blah, blah, blah. And, my feeling was, yeah, but I don't know anyone else who's then like, let's create a flop musical like Carrie was a flop. <laughs> um, but that's an example of a show that, like, in a lot of ways, it is it is key to our understanding, our love of the genre. But also, you know, like I said, no one's looking to imitate something that didn't work. That's that's kind of the antithesis of what these shows are. Um, but I think off-key is a really interesting idea. Because then you could put in shows like that. Yeah. Uh, Do you know, uh, did you or anybody else uh, take a look at, you know, how financially successful all these are? I mean, I'm looking through them. They're all pretty, pretty financially successful as far as commercial. 
No, no, I don't I don't think so. I don't think we I mean, I think, you know, we thought about it, but we didn't. You know, what's you know, what? actually, let me go back. I'm so sorry, James. I think originally because we did have a word count, which which, uh, you know, is a blessing and a curse. But I think that's what we did do. I think we were going to put in eventually how much money each of these shows made. I think that was we had we each chapter originally had a stat section hmm. where it listed the cast. It listed who was involved originally opening day, closing day performances. But I think we were also going to list like how much it made financially. And then we had to cut things down and we, we got rid of all that information. You could uh, create a supporting website for this and do it pretty we, easily. We've been thinking about that actually, which is that there would be a supplemental website that would list all this information that was cut. Um, I feel like if you go to the podcast, now don't quote me, but if you go to the podcast I feel like in the episode descriptions, we've listed a bunch of the information we had to excise. But okay. a website would be a, would be a great idea. I mean, you know what it's like. There's so much you want to oh, share, yeah. Yeah. and there's so, you know. But each chapter, including the title of the chapter and uh, sources cited, had to be fifteen hundred words each. Hmm. So, you know, even, you know, we had one person, God bless them, their chapter was wonderful, but it was like 10,000 words and maybe 6,000 of those words were, you know, citations. So when you put like James Smith, the title of the book, all of that was counting towards the word count. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of good information we had to get rid of, unfortunately. But even so, it's a terrific book. Oh, thank you. So before we started recording, Jan, you, uh, I, I feel as though if you describe to the listeners <laughs> what you told Robert before we started recording about my approach you know, to how, reading the book, how you, <laughs> your, your approach to reading the book, I think that's that's the best review ever. So tell us about that. <laughs> my plan was to there are fifty musicals, and my plan was to read one a day. I didn't even make it through the week. I just tore through uh, the book. It is, it's just totally yummy. Um, mm. And I, I, I learned things from the book uh, and just had just a great time with it. And also, I mean, I went down the rabbit hole with you guys. I would read a chapter listen to the chapter on the podcast oh. then read another chapter listen <laughs> i was uh, you know uh, all of my the commuting that i did oh. i was listening then while i was eating dinner i was reading i was all into oh, this Jen, book. thank you that literally it makes me so happy to hear that cuz you know what it's like you know you create something and then you don't know if people are enjoying it. You know, you don't know. You just you put it out there and you hope people like it. Um, so to hear that, that literally has made it all worth it. I, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Oh, so, so uh, yeah. So listeners, carve out some time. <laughs> yeah. Start. <laughs> You're going to want to zoom through this one, too. It's it's oh. terrific. Robert, you could build a whole community around this uh, around this book project. I mean, I, I could just oh. see it. I would love I, that. Thank you. Oh. So, Jan, when you uh, went and read the chapter, then listened to the podcast, 
did you also have to pick which cast recording you would listen to next? <laughs> because some of these can't, you know, like there's like a million Les Mis cast recordings and a million Annie cast recordings and, <laughs> and various different company cast recordings. So it's like, then you have to start ranking the cast recordings. Yes. Well, that, that became problematic. <laughs> mm. So, <laughs> yes, yes, that was that was problematic. I needed not. I needed Michael's advice. Yeah, um, I love yeah. from his past album reviews. <laughs> I needed Michael's guidance and and and, and mentorship. Yeah, Michael Portantier's castalbumreviews.com is a yes. is a good compendium to uh, fifty key musicals. It's so good. So and and I can't let you go without saying, how did you land Charles Kirsch? Oh, he was. The, <laughs> so I love that kid, Charles. Isn't isn't it just amazing? What what was he twelve when he wrote this? Oh yeah, you know? but he was. You know what's so funny? He's, <laughs> when I came up with the list of people that I wanted to write a chapter, I swear to you, he was the first person on the list. I'm not joking. That's because I was. Because I was like, he's so smart. He and is. he he submitted, uh, I said, I'll have him write on Annie. Because I'm like, he's a kid. It's about kids. Oh, my God. He wrote the most thoughtful, intelligent. He wrote things in that chapter. I was like, I didn't know about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, I didn't know that. You know, and I'm like, I, I'm like 20 million years older than him. I'm like, how do I not know this? <laughs> he's he was the He was the first on my list. I swear to you, he was the first on my list. That's great. He's the best. Well, if you're walking through the theater district and you see some guy being preceded by uh, rosebuds <laughs> on the ground, it's Robert W. Schneider. He's keeping himself very, very busy with all his projects uh, in and around the theater community. Robert, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. Thank you. And thank you both for everything that you do for Broadway Radio. It is such a valuable resource to all of us who love theater. So thank you. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Thank you.